I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome, John Krishna Bush, to my Awakening Now podcast on Ramdas's Be Here Now network. And it's wonderful to see you, as always, my dear old friend, since uh, 1970 or 71. And um, we didn't really prepare for this d- discussion, but there's a lot to talk about. We've prepared, I think, for the last 40, I don't know what, five years, 40, if I can still 40, do math. Yeah, 45 years. <laughs> so it's unbelievable. Uh, welcome. <laughs> And, and welcome, everybody. Lama Surya Das here, Awakening Now podcast. John Krishna Bush is a filmmaker, direct pictures. He's well known for the award-winning Yatra trilogy. Yatra is a Sanskrit word, Indian language word, for pilgrimage. And he's a photographer and graphic artist and writer and um, bhakti devotee and met long-time probably 45 or more, 50 years, meditator and a spiritual seeker and finder also. He's a wise elder, and he's a mentor to me, actually. He introduced me to Maharaji Nimkaroli Baba, my first guru, Ram Das's guru, Krishnadas's guru, Krishna Bush's guru here, Mirabai Bush's guru, many of our friends are with him, and John Krishna, I call him Krishna, introduced me, and I'm always grateful to that. And he's a wonderful, dear friend, and two of his sons are my godchildren. So, Krishna, welcome. How are you, and what are you up to these days? It's lovely to meet you in this way, Surya. Isn't I don't it? Think we've ever we've never done this. We've before, never skyped so. together, even. <laughs> but yeah. uh, over a forty-five year friendship, uh, anything yeah. is possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, starting off in India, even though we were both at the University of Buffalo in the sixties, and. Um, We've been in monasteries and ashrams together and on pilgrimage, yatra, together. And uh, aren't you working on a film now? Weren't you shooting in India and Himalayas in the last couple of years? Yeah. No, I've been working on it for the last three years. Uh, it's a uh, – I'm going to just take out one of these earbuds here. Yes, it's a uh, – it's, 
it's a, a another pilgrimage film, a feature-length uh, film, uh, shot entirely in India. And in this time, uh, we're on a pilgrimage that goes from the very northern part of India in Badranath, which is one of the four holy sites, uh, to the southern tip of India, to uh, Rameshwaram, uh, which again is one of the, the the major tirtas at each of the four directions. So this one, we're going from the northern tirta to the southern tirta. Tirtas are places of passage. I know these are things you know, Surya. I'm just saying this to, for the benefit of other people who may be listening. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Badranath is way in the north in the Himalayas, and it's a holy cave, tirta, uh, well, sacred actually, place. Yeah. And the other one uh, is at the tip of the subcontinent, so it's the su- almost the southernmost part. So you're going to span the whole continent that way from north to south? Right. It's uh, we're that's exactly what the the, the film uh, goes goes on a cinematic pilgrimage to about eighteen different locations. Each of them considered what's called a tirtha in Hinduism, mm-hmm. which is a place of passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sort of a hot spot, if you will. A sacred that, site. Yeah, sacred site. Something that yeah. yogis a pilgrimage place over the last few thousand years have figured as yeah. sort of a, a right. good spot to uh, to do practice or to do right. something and then you know then it later became their temples that arose around it and then it became a you know a pilgrimage location right. so there's a lot of good juju put in there and in the air imbuing the whole atmosphere from thousands of years of yogis and swamis and meditators and devotees and lovers of the divine and seekers coming there like other holy places in the world and i know your yatra Trilogy, your pilgrimage trilogy covered Southeast Asia, covered Tibet and Himalayas, and covered India. So that's a lot to um, enjoy if anyone's interested in that. By the way, if you can see this on video, the beautiful art piece behind John Krishna Bush is one of his works. So he's a wonderful. He has a wonderful eye, and he's a graphic artist. Um, he had a business called Illuminations a right livelihood business employing his spiritual satsang family in the set with Mirabai Bush, his wife at the time, in the 70s, 80s, and it became millennium in the 90s. And um, he's a real artist and has a great eye. But he's a, he's a sacred artist, and he's made art is a big part of your path, isn't it? Can you talk about that a little bit, how we can mingle our vocation with our art form, even if it's not recognizes art, you know, the art of living or whatever we do, our work, our yeah, true well, vocation I mean, in life and the spiritual path. Yeah. Well, I know when we when I was making the uh, film Prajna Earth, we were in Bali. And, uh, you know, the Balinese culture is completely aesthetic oriented. Uh, everything is ritualized and there you are know, special garments for this and for that and all these extraordinary every, painting and wood carving and all this stuff. And yet they don't have a word in their language for art, you know, because it's just really? considered life mm-hmm. that you're creating your life every day, you know, and yeah. you're creating your spiritual life. So uh, I find that that's, uh, you know, we've kind of cloistered art to museums or to, you know, galleries. A, f- a few Chelsea people or, called artists. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Fine. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I just... You know, I feel, uh, you know, we're we're basically creating our lives. So everybody is in the tent that way as far as being an artist is concerned. I mean, we all make artistic choices almost at every turn in our life. What we want to do, how we want to, what we want to think, what we want to say, you know, what we want yes. to cr- create. 
You know? It's all creative expression, and we're part of the creation, and also, dare I say, the creator. Dare sure I say, <laughs> we're all part of that. So, you know, as you know, writing and poetry is very important uh, to me. That's my art form, besides um, teaching and you know, envisioning positive futures and, and community act activities and so on. Uh, what do you think about sacred art and you know you've gone from illuminations to modern media to film and so on and how do you one bring forth the sacred which is so ancient and timeless in this very secular postmodern materialistic high-tech scientistic era and also how do you stretch the boundaries of art as you said everyone's in the tent because we're all creating our lives every day and every moment and everything we do and move is creative expression almost like dance so how, how do you stretch those boundaries and, and still and inspire people well i think i think the difference between say commercial art or what i'm doing is that there's an aspect of the eternal in what i'm doing i mean in other words what i'm trying to convey to the viewer is uh, is an atmosphere of the eternal you know which resonates with that part of themselves that is eternal so um, that's, you know, that that's that's what I'm doing in, in the work. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I try to keep a minimum of speaking. I mean, you know, I try to have like maybe a minute of speaking and with two minutes of just music or ambient sound or things like this. So somebody can allow the so so the viewer can allow this to come inside for them you know, so that they can take it in. Uh, but. Actually, I'm not sure I'm asking answering your question specifically. So ask That's me a little okay. bit we're more. That's okay. We're just we're just we're just you know talking. Um, I'm thinking about how we're all part of the creation and the creator and the creative process, and how we can stretch the boundaries. Like for me, starting off with writing and poetry and prose and songs, and then trying to stretch beyond to like haiku, one-liners words of wisdom, um, using foreign words and phrases that people know as part of it, and uh, other uh, chanting, you know, I have chant CDs and I'm always leading chanting and doing chanting every day as part of my own practice. Mm -hmm. So then everything, you know, walking and playing with the dog or, you know, singing to the child while they're going to sleep, it all becomes part of what I would call my being a poet and a writer. Yeah, well, that's well, you certainly are. Look how prolific you are. I mean, you know, it's I mean, it's obviously a complete way of life for you. I mean, as as well as being a spiritual teacher, I mean, your vehicle, one of your main vehicles for doing that is through your writing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, how many books have you written now? I have 14 published books. That's remarkable. I mean, that's really a lot of work. I mean, you know, I mean, anybody who's written knows how much how much work that is, you know. And uh, that's, Thank you. that's just, that's just, I mean, it's, it's amazing. But the way I think you're able to do that, Suri, is because you, you, you are a poet. I mean, you see, you understand that that's that poet, that being a poet isn't something that's not just an ivory towerism or some, some mm -hmm. way academic. of, uh, uh, yeah. or, or academic, something academic. It's really a way of seeing, you know, the dance of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, to really, you know, to, 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 to touch the causal mm -hmm. levels of reality, uh, 
as a poet, you know, and uh, that was that was sort of my that was my background too at mm-hmm. Buffalo. I was I teaching. I was studying with a lot of uh, really great poets, and that was a thing at the time uh, was really to think of oneself as a poet, you know, and not just that you're somebody a published poet or something mm-hmm. like that, but just no, that, but that you're was writing your poetry and, and seeing things you were poetically. We're working. Yeah. And uh, and everything in your life was feeding into it. Mm-hmm. The complete was completely integrated. It wasn't, you know. And it was just it just was more just seeing the aesthetics also in life. You know, the aesthetics and the mystery and the, you know the romance, all of it, uh, to really uh, be open to that. And you know, I think it's one of the reasons why people like binge watching television so much is that they, you know, for. <laughs> many hours they're kind of immersed uh-huh. into that into that sort of other the, world the of, magic uh, of magic of some yeah, kind projection yeah. right. so uh, you know I th- <laughs> it's interesting i hadn't put that together before but yeah i think that's the difference i mean you know if you're if you're really just in the commercial realm as a writer you know you may not write 14 books but you really had something to say you had something to share it was mm-hmm. like a vision that you're still getting out yeah. into the world and you know i just i don't know i'm just i just admire it so much i've known you for so long just as i have a chance to say that you know well, thank you well you're pretty prolific too um you know with your art and your community activism and work and now your films and other things of course also your family your three sons etc now you know your granddaughter and that's also a creation i, I see um an art or I don't know, my writing, let's say. Writing, for me, writing and teaching and living are a seamless whole. So I don't know if, I don't want to say I'm always writing in my head like I got, I'm got. i thinking that way and i got to go write it down. But, you know, seeing the aesthetics or it's a way of seeing, of awakening now and being. Seeing and being goes together yeah, well, you in, know, with it's, that vision. It's, it's getting, I think it really it means getting out of the subject-object yeah. world mm-hmm. and just becoming part of the part experience, of you yeah. know, where you're not just looking at objects. I think, you know, artists do, there are artists who just see things as an as, <laughs> as objects, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I mean, they have has a certain audience, but the, the true artist, I mean, they're they're not separate from what they're what they're what they're capturing or seeing or or, yes. or, or, or writing, you know. So, um, since you said that, you know, I lived in Japan one year in Kyoto in the '70s, studying Zen and teaching English, of course, to live, but uh, also studying haiku with Sid Corman, a well-known poet, American poet there, and other people. And I remember the great haiku poet Basho. He said, "To write a haiku about a tree." First, I look look at the tree and look at the tree long enough until there's only the tree. In other words, it's not there's no me looking at the tree. He doesn't even say I've become one with the tree. That's a little ego activity. Just there's only the tree. Then, this is a quote, then a haiku can be written. He doesn't say then I can write a haiku. Yeah. Then a haiku was- can happen. That was my uh, that was my ongoing uh, koan with uh, Suzaki Roshi was was how do you realize God looking at a pine tree? Mm, you know, so I, I had a permutation of that. But it, ultimately, it was that breakthrough that I was talking about was, again, it's not becoming one with the tree, because then again, that that that's yeah. still some but, level of right. identification. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was uh, you know, just not being separate from it, just right. not separate. Yes. You know, beyond ideas like two or one even. Or none. 
So I think I think uh, as far as a poet is concerned, I mean, if we can talk in that sort of heroic term, uh, <laughs> that uh, that that's willing to take those risks, uh, willing to I mean, to really see be beyond the apparent, you know, and uh, I think that's an invitation for everyone. I, just as we were saying, everyone is an artist. Mm -hmm. Everyone is a poet. Everybody mm -hmm. has that in them. And that everybody's given that same koan to solve in their life. So they're going yes. to keep looking at it in lots How of How do different... I realize God or truth while doing and fill in the blank, whatever you're doing right now? Yeah, what exactly. we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, that same very elder senior Japanese Zen master who lived the second half of his life in L.A., Suzaki Roshi, he's gone now, but I think he lived to 102 or 104. God bless his soul. 104. Yeah. He gave me the koan. He was teaching. He was teaching I know. Unbelievable. I mean, I can't believe you have a Zen master who's like over 100 years old. Yeah, and I don't think he was doing it by health foods and exercise. <laughs> no, and uh, I mean, look, I mean, Leonard was his young, Leonard Cohen, you know, was his yeah. young student, right? And yeah. Leonard's, what, how old is Leonard now? He must be 80. Yeah, he's getting up there. <laughs> well, Suzaki so, Roshi, gave, like he gave you the koan, how do I realize God while... What did you looking say? At a, looking, looking at a pine, at a pine tree. tree. Yeah. He gave me the koan in the uh, 70s in Boulder when I went to a session, you know, a week-long meditation intensive, residential intensive with him. He gave me the koan, how do I realize God while driving car? <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of more modern, you know? Yeah, like yeah. now we have to say, and I'll put it to you, how do I realize I God while... Really, while you know, Zafu for like 13 hours a day. I was much yeah. rather be thinking of right. a pine tree than a car. Right. That's what I'm <laughs> trying to bring it into the daily life. Like, how do we realize God using yeah, the computer? The beginner level pine tree. You got the, you got the sort yeah. of intermediate koan, right? Yeah, probably. So <laughs> now really, thinking, how do really we? Samsara. <laughs> how do we realize God while using the computer or the handheld device or, you know, making a film? Does technology interfere? It's just one more tree that has grown in the, you know, in quote, God's creation. That's yeah, part of, the, you know, a lot how do we realize people. God while a big you know, part of my world doing our life? Because it's so simple writing, you know, at some level. I mean, you can really just do it with a piece of coal, you know, I mean, you know, you, right. you need to. Or your finger. <laughs> but to the stuff that I'm hand. involved in now, it's like so complicated. Yes. And, uh, Technology. and I have to learn it continually, you know, but because uh, it's also changing continually. But but it does keep my mind sharp. So in that sense, I mean, it really keeps does my that, mind from drifting too far off course because i got to really pay attention to all that tech stuff, you know? Well, that's the Zen of it, isn't it? Yeah. Doing what you're doing 100% while you're doing it. Kind of like uber mindfulness, the opposite of mindlessness. I <laughs> love, I love uh, writing and, you know, the arts also because it awakens me and it helps me to be more present. Sometimes I'm inspired and it feels like communing with the muse, but that's just an overlay. What it really means is I'm not my usual self or mental preoccupations and just present and accountable or accounted for and just doing what I'm doing 100% while I'm doing it. And that's an unbelievable, harmonious and del delightful feeling. Of course, meditation and other things, I like that because I can bring you to that. But exercise or being with people you love, in so many ways we can realize God, to use the, the, the agnostic, the non-theistic Zen master's language. <laughs>
Thank God for the Buddhism. That's what I always say. <laughs> no, Santi. Thank yeah, God right. for the Dharma. <laughs> Good safe hangout for the agnostics out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know, I have, I have to say I was riding, I, I, was, I was coming back from the dentist this morning uh, on the Upper East Side, and I was coming down to where my studio is here in the, you know, at the end of the island, the yeah. other side. And so I was riding on the one train for about, 20 minutes and in Manhattan. Uh, just reflecting about what a rolling zendo the subway is. I mean, you know, <laughs> and uh, I always have this feeling when I'm on the car. I have it, I've had it for the, as long as I've been in New York. I get mm -hmm. on the subway, I sit down, everybody's sitting completely, you know, upright, stick, you know, silent, you know, not saying a word, looking forward. It's just, I mean, it's like you might as well meditation. be a zendo, except, you know, people, and everybody really is sort of chilling, you know, so I mean, there's something to that. But I like it because it's sort of the it's the Mahayana, it's the greater vehicle, right? Right it's there on the subway, yeah. car after car of people sitting there, yeah. you know, and <laughs> going in the same direction, <laughs> going in the same direction <laughs> for I, once. It's a wonderful thing. I love, I love, I love, I love riding the subway in New York. It's always a thrill for me. I mean, and I do it, you know, a yeah. lot. I used to do it when I was younger, of course, and grew up near New York, and even knew the subway because my father used it a lot to go to work and all. So sometimes I went with him, but um, I love this image of everybody on this going the same way and on the path in the subway. I know there's even the path train to New Jersey, but, but everybody's silent. That's what that's. I mean, yeah. how often does that happen? Maybe right. in never. Theater, you know, yeah, but uh, right. but everybody's silent and people. You know, maybe they're fidgeting with their phones or stuff like that. But yeah. people are pretty. You know, yeah. straight on looking ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Focus, unmistakable. Some say. form of uh, you know collective. Uh, yeah. contemplation going on there. <laughs> Co-meditation. I'm enjoying this image. I could see a cartoon in this. I could make a cartoon. By the way, we were talking about stretching beyond the, the division between sacred and secular in our art form. So, And you were talking about me putting out books. So I have a collection now with a collaborator of karma tunes, original cartoons that we've made, and I'm thinking about what to do with them. So, oh, you really? Not, I've seen that's a few the of opposite them. of poetry. Yeah, yeah. But well, it's, you know, yes I'm just no. saying, stretching the, stretching the medium, seeing things at a different angle and giving, you know, awakening to a new way of seeing and being. And humor, of course, and levity can so help us get out of our head. Great. I'd love, so, I'd love to see you do that. So, um, you know, even yesterday we came up with six more ideas we have to draw and caption. But I'm loving this idea of people, everybody going in the same direction on the path or the path train to exaggerate in New York, and especially in this season of electile dysfunction, it doesn't seem like in this country we're all, we're all going in the same direction. That's funny. That's the title I mean, of a new book. I'm when this is over. It's taking up way too much of my mind and everybody, yeah. the, every, the mind of everyone I know. It's like, I know, it's like it's, the blue dress. It's never it's ending. It's sort of like living inside it's one of the great Hindu epics or something yes, like that. Yes, like the Maharaja goes on forever. The baby slaying the slaying yeah. the you know the the, right. the, uh, the monster. It's really it's pretty. Uh, it, right. It's it's epic. I mean, it really is. And not, not and it's hard to distinguish fact from fiction, from fantasy, from madness. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's good though. I think it's. I'm really happy that you know that uh, there's such a dialogue going on about so many things at this point that are you know. Yes. Uh, usually aren't talked about that people right. are just too polite to even bring up. And, like men and uh, and men and women never really gets looked at. 
like that dynamic of men and women that's come out in sort of an ugly way, but at least not a violent way, an abusive way. But there's a huge dialogue now in the country because of that this very month and this very fall. So that's one little silver lining. Yeah, that's a long overdue conversation. I mean, I'm surprised yeah, <laughs> it's right. still 2016. I know. really just beginning that conversation. I know. I mean, it's hard it's to believe. Crazy, it's you know? already moved so far past that with the gay revolution and LBQ, you know, and all the rest. Yeah, yeah. But it's a beautiful thing. I think thing. once things get connected to human rights, then it takes on a whole nobleness. Like it did it like when that with with it did with uh, same sex marriage uh, that became a, a human rights issue. And right. in that context, mm-hmm. you couldn't deny the reality of it. I mean, you can really tell right. other people who they can love or who they right. can marry. No, yeah. of course not. You know, and um, it seems to be the same here. It seems to be that now we're I mean, it's like no one has no man has the right to regard women in that way or you know, and to yeah. act on it, you yeah. know, and uh and uh, that's sort of like, I don't know. I mean, you know, we're coming from a, an older time, from a, you know, sort of the madman time, at least in my case. I was yes. still, I was alive right. then, you know, so I've watched these attitudes <laughs> I mean, the 50s. change over yeah. the years, you know, right. but uh, there's still a lot of changing that has to happen, that's for sure. Yes, and I hope we're all um, working on that and thinking about that and working together on systemic change, not just short term, you know, voting, which is important, but. See, I don't think this is going to end just because somebody gets can, elected. I don't think you can miss them by having a, if you have a, I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut it over, cut over you. Yeah, uh, let me finish my thought, thanks. I don't think, that, you know, everybody I know, and I, to, I hear myself saying, I can't wait for this to end, but it's not going to end just because somebody gets elected or even inaugurated till we change the broken systems that we have and, you know, con- the impacted Congress and Senate that doesn't, let anything happen. Only, only votes on partisan lines, not according to issues and values. And, you know, the other problems we have with education and racism and so many poverty and inequality in this country, in this world. So we have it's to keep not, working it's, it's on that. It sort of comes from a lot of the same sources, though. I, I absolutely agree with you, you know, by the way. Yeah. That, that's absolutely true. But I think there's, you know, what we're seeing now is a lot of the uh, uh, portraying of the other. Right. Of yes. the immigrants of, the, you know, of, you know, Black Lives Matter people or, mm-hmm. you know, what, w- w- you know, women and nasty women or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that uh, that sort of uh, seems to scare people, you know. Um, but, you know, it, it, at least it's it's being looked at. We're seeing it, it's all yes. comes from that. It's coming light. into the light. Yeah. yeah. I have to say one of the things, again, I'm sorry to just to keep talking about well, you're a no, New no. Yorker. You Go know ahead. What I'm talking yeah. about. But I mean. You know, like here, the, the experiment's long been over as far as, you know, mm-hmm. immigrants and different, you know, yes. the diversity reality and stuff right. like that. It's, it's wonderful. It's one, it's one of the, the most wonderful thing about the city, about New York, is it's just such a, uh, everybody is here and everybody's, everybody's a New Yorker. You know? Yes, if, I've if heard not, that. Even if you're an illegal immigrant. Right. You're still a New Yorker. That's part of it. That's, tra- New Yorker. So that's, that's a tradition. That's feeling that way, yeah. you know? Right. It's a tradition and, to be an illegal immigrant and bring your people over and work out, hard. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, off I mean, the books yeah. and try to get your kids legal and go to, you know, educational advancement and all. And yeah. there are street signs in Chinese in part of the city and in Spanish in part of the city. That, you know, you know how many street signs there are and how many Hispanics there are in places like Miami and, and L.A. and also, of course, Asians and Indians and other things. So. 
We're increasingly diverse, anyway, obviously. Diversity, racial diversity and ethnic diversity in our country is an enormous strength and gift. I mean, that's the idea that people would be frightened of it. It's just too bad. It's just like people are it living, you know, bad. I mean, they just don't get out enough or something, you know, or they're living in the wrong place. But, you know, I mean, it is it is it is what makes us really, truly a great country. Yes. Yeah. And we all benefited by it, too. I mean, my grandparents came here from East Europe and probably yours did, too. Right yeah, of course. Parents. You know, I mean, every, every, everyone, everyone did, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Where did yours come from? Ireland, perhaps? Uh, Ireland, England, Switzerland, and Germany. Well, those countries are fighting also, especially Germany, Switzerland, at the borders and with immigration from the east, and et cetera. It's very, France has a huge reaction to that, and, you know. Yeah, well, we Marie Le Pen in France, you know, so yeah, the very far right wing people. Uh, well, we Le thought Pen we thought like that we thought it was pretty far right wing uh, with Marine Le Pen, and then yeah. we see what you know, the alt right is doing here, and it doesn't. Yeah, right. it's, I mean, I think it's you know it's not any different really, and right, uh, in exactly. fact, it seems to be maybe the numbers are even bigger here than in France. I mean, that's what's been very helpful that all this gets exposed that it's not just mm -hmm. happening in some sort of weird part of the internet. Yeah. You know that yes. people really understand that there really is a real you know major right wing you know coalescing here around around a lot of un, unfortunate issues, and uh, you know now I think people see it more. Anyway, we were talking about the sort of universal, the universal aspects of, you know, that we recognize in people, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm finding that that's really, I mean, what I'm doing with the with these pilgrimage films, what and this current one that I'm working on, ultimately is really about the fact that every human being is born a pilgrim in this life, mm -hmm. you know, walking on their own spiritual path. Right. You life, know? life is like a pilgrimage. It is a pilgrimage. And we're all pilgrims of seekers. And uh, seekers. what I found in India, which was interesting, is that, you know, India, even with all of the caste system and the uh, the social hierarchies that exist in India. Yeah. Um, and the poverty. This, on, on Yatra, everybody is equal. I mean, everybody's mm -hmm. a Yatri. Which right. is a, it's a nightmare for pilgrims. Like in the subway. And, and at least by tradition, mm -hmm. everybody is equal. Right, theoretically. And uh, I, that got me feeling like, that's why don't we yeah, think more it. like this as a, as right. a, as human beings? You know, why don't we think more that? Yeah, I didn't. I mean, we didn't ask to be born. We just arrived here. We're here, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, and uh, so is everybody else. Everybody sort of spontaneously arose here. Mm -hmm. And uh, and each of us is walking our own path in life. And what a remarkable share, thing to share. Right. I mean, so, say, walking together, whether we think that way or not. I and mean, people yeah. like, feel alone and lonely, but we're alone together. But, you know, when you see yourself as a pilgrim, you, you look at you see other, everybody else is mm -hmm. the same, in that mm -hmm. same regard. And that sort of changes the way. And then everybody has a, a certain nobleness about mm -hmm. their lives. It doesn't matter what their function right. is yeah. in life. No. The fact that there, everybody's trying to solve the same riddle, right? And everyone has is the heading, mortal and the eternal. Right? Everyone has a greater destiny, whatever it's called, however it's conceived of, and we're all on that, like you said, great vehicle or great highway path together. Yeah. So I hope you'll be you talking like this in your new film. This is a beautiful theme for today. 
Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Surya. This is a great yeah, theme, well, theme I, for today. We've, we've been having this conversation for yeah. a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, now having it on Skype, we've teched I, up. I love it. I love it. It's nice to see you, literally. It's nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a month since the feast sure. at, at the farm. Yes. Yeah, no, I think, I think the other thing that is, I think, the difference is seeing, feeling your self... See, I don't know. You know, I was thinking if everybody's on a spiritual path through life, but m many people don't realize it, mm -hmm. that that's probably okay, too. That's you know totally I mean? okay. I mean, you know, because I don't I, my liver is functioning just fine and I'm not I'm not consciously controlling it. I don't know anything about it, really. You know, <laughs> and it's so important to my survival. Yes. But it's 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 ongoing just as like. The life story, the, you know, our, our life experiences teach us continually all the time, right? All right. of these things mm -hmm. about compassion, empathy, you know. Yes, especially if we attend to them and learn from experience. Don't just rush on to the next ones mindlessly. I'm liking thinking about, you know, the path train and we're all on this pilgrimage together in life and and how we need each other to become enlightened and to love and learn to love and open and not just think and educate our minds but awaken our hearts and, and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful image for today and and to go further i'm thinking it is true we're all on the spiritual path and so many people don't know it or don't believe it or acknowledge it. it that doesn't matter as you were just saying and in fact, if God became visible, he, he or she would be invisible, which is the case. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like the liver is functioning, if it's not giving any trouble, we, that's good. That's if it's good. invisible to us. That's good. It only becomes visible when, when it's rattling, like the broken part of the car starts to rattle. So it is invisible to, so, to most of us. But it doesn't yeah, mean it's it, not I mean, there. I think it's, and, you know, I, and I see a lot of people who really are very evolved and conscious human beings, and they're not self-consciously spiritual. Mm -hmm. In fact, probably right. most of them would consider themselves yeah. agnostics or maybe yeah. atheists. Or, or humanistic. You know, but, yeah. uh, but, you know, life has its way of, uh, of shaping us up. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's designed that way, right? So, right. Uh, you know, it just, it's just it's unautomatic. I just love reflecting on it sort of, I mean, I don't know. Well, for me, I, you know, you, you feel pulled. To, I was pulled to, I mean, it's, I had to solve the riddle myself. I was pulled to India and I was pulled to those experiences that we, we shared there. Uh, so I mean, it wasn't, I couldn't remain passive in the middle of all of mm -hmm. the stuff that was going on that we knew at that time in the 60s, for example. You know, uh, yes, yeah, so the 60s was a big turning over of the garden and a big awakening. Yeah. And like an exponential leap, not just a little incremental progress. Mm hmm. So that reminds me, um, I think the first pilgrimage that I was consciously on was with you and Mirabai and my travel buddy, Ken Humphreys, and we hiked, we met in Kashmir and uh, hiked for eight or nine days up above the snow line and over the Mahagunas Pass. It was like ten or twelve thousand feet. I think we were in sandals. There's no it's six, it's uh, sixteen thousand feet. Sixteen thousand feet, unbelievable. Yeah. And to that cave, Amarnath Cave, where there's the full moon ice lingam or phallus that they worship, 
in Amanath Cave, and it's a stalagmite growing up from the ground that they consider Shiva's phallus or lingam. And that well, was my it's, first it's, pilgrimage. It's, it's, ice lingam. it's, it's the, yeah. it's formed by, uh, it's, it's, but it's like a, it's created. Yeah, from it's water from dripping. the ground. Yeah. Unfortunately, Surya, you know, at this point, uh, because of global warming, that phenomenon is really more of a, of a, more legendary than a reality. I didn't <laughs> know that there's no more ice lingam. Yeah. The glaciers are melting the and, the, and the caves are the cave, the Amarnath cave where we went, uh, yeah. which is where actually that's where, uh, Shiva told Parvati the secrets of the universe in that cave. That's what it was. Wow. It's, that's it's, in Hinduism. That's its yeah. uh, purpose. I, mean, I think. It's, it's I think. Of, I think we heard some of them there, if you remember, but I don't remember what they were. But it certainly <laughs> helped. And so that was my first pilgrimage ever, and it was with you, Baba. So well, thank you. And Glad. you're still, and we're still on the pilgrimage together. And you're even uh, making art and you know teaching expressions for that the, the films and other things that you've done um that was 1971 so it seems a long time ago it's nice that we're still on the path we're even just alive and uh comrades and dharma brothers together isn't it it's beautiful it's really i'm grateful yeah well that was a wonderful that was a wonderful uh pilgrimage we went on yeah you know and uh i remember coming back uh, uh this was the th the image that stuck with me. We, I remember we were walking back on this long path, and we were almost back to Palgam where we had started out. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I saw these guys. They were all running at us, and they were like, you know, yelling and stuff like that. I had no idea I what remember. they were doing. Yeah. Right? Uh -huh. And we just kept walking, and in about you know, like two more steps, we heard this giant explosion, and all of these giant boulders were flying around us. You know, we walked into a blast site. Oh yes, the army was blasting or something, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and somehow we just walked through it, and nothing happened. Uh, we were blessed. We were graced. We were young. I mean, I was twenty years old. I didn't know which end was up. <laughs> I was. I was twenty. I was twenty-seven then. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. You were 20, really? Yeah. yeah wow. I just graduated from college. I was 20. It was 19, Amazing. summer 1971. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm grateful. I'm glad I had an early start into this. Yeah, work. I had heard I had heard about Amarnath from this this uh, sadhu who we were hanging out with in Jagashwar. And he was on his, and, you know, he was, I was talking about the fact that the monsoon was coming. And he said, oh, well, you know, I, he usually goes up to Amarnath at that time. He goes up to Kashmir because there's no mm -hmm. monsoon there. And that's right. how we met. Well, the rest of India was all deluged. It was still beautiful and dry mm -hmm. up there. Yes, very dry. So do you go to India every year or two on pilgrimage and including filming or photographing or scripting? Well, I really hadn't been. I hadn't been to India in quite a long time, you know, uh, and until uh, I started making this film. And then, you know, now I've met, I've spent about maybe six to eight months there over altogether, you know, shooting, shooting mm -hmm. the film and going on pilgrimage. Uh, actually, with my two Indian crew members, uh, we, we were shooting our own pilgrimage as we went, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, but it was it was remarkable. It was so so different than India that. When I had known it, when we were yes. there, I mean, when we were right. there, I mean, in 1971, the British had only left 22 years before. Okay, I mean, that's I mean, it was that's that. hard to remember now. Yeah. yeah, you know, and now India is completely. I mean, that's that's right. that's way past, and uh, you know, they're yeah. they're soon to be the largest country in the world in a few more years. They will surpass China as far as population. You know, and uh, 
half the country is under 25, you know, so it's... I didn't realize that. Yeah. But it sure has changed, you know, with technology and digitization and outsourcing and everybody has a cell phone. You remember when we were there, there was almost no phoning. You had to go to the post office to make a... Yeah, phone. yeah, no, it was... That was not even a possibility. There was no TV. There was no radio much. Yeah, now, now everybody has television. Yeah, I mean, right. There, and, and I guess internet. everywhere in the world, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Interestingly, you know, my Buddhist friends in Bhutan said they just got television like 15 years ago, and they still only have two or three channels in that tiny Himalayan country. Bhutan. Yeah, happiness capital of the world. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it is beautiful, and it is green. It's like Switzerland of Asia. Yeah, right next to Nepal. So. Um, what are you doing now uh, these very days, this autumn? Well, right now I'm basically uh, finishing the edit uh, of the of the film, you know, and uh, so I'm kind of immersed in India, you know, like eight to ten hours uh -huh. a day. My face was right there, yeah. uh -huh. re, you know, reliving and re-experiencing these things and trying to make sense of it for the viewer. So uh, that part I'm loving, actually, you know, uh, to to sort of keep. Go through that. Keep there. And then video. I'm sort of surprised when I come out. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> Broadway. <laughs> it really feels like it's something different than that. But yeah, it, but it's also, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm continually asking on behalf of my future audience what this really means. I mean, what is it? What is mm -hmm. it? What is it? What does it mean for the audience? I mean, yeah. I know what it means for the people no, we're seeing on screen. No, but what's meaningful to us and the audience now? Yeah. And, you know, tomorrow. So those are those are those are those are those are different things, you know, and uh, and also, you know, I I feel an indebtedness to India and I feel I want to. Uh, I mean, from what I experienced there and as I'm sure you do, I mean, it was a unique uh, possibility for for us and for many, many people. And uh, and so I, I really want to appreciate India in that way. And I think it's kind of lost. I, you know, I was really surprised, you know, when I did these other three pilgrimage films in Southeast Asia and Tibet, I saw how all these new spiritual concepts and practices from India were really transforming the world, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I mean, over there transformed it. I mean, this is a thousand years ago. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm transformed about, that side how of the those world. countries becoming Buddhist and Hindu countries in Southeast Asia and in Tibet. And then the synthesis that they created out of it, you know, went all the way to Japan, to, you know, yeah, to right. Mongolia. I mean, I mean, it was it transformed it transformed that entire part of the world, you know, uh, and still and to this day. And now we have hundreds of millions of people in the West who are doing yoga, who are doing, you know, meditation we're doing, you know, Buddhist practice or bhakti yoga practice or things like this. And that's having a transformative effect at this time, yes. you know, in, in the West. And no, no, no doubt about it, you know. But the question is, what's being lost, I would guess, you know, right. in, in the present translation? Well, I was thinking about two things. One, as you were speaking, one is perhaps one doesn't have to travel that far for it anymore and you're a good places and teachers in the Western countries, some Asian teachers and some Westerners. And second, that what is, if, if it is being lost, and it, maybe every generation feels that, that the traditions are being lost, but traditions all, also evolve. So like when I go to India, I go to some of those places like Bodh Gaya where the Buddha sat under the tree and got enlightened 2,600 years ago or 
the great stupa monument in Kathmandu Valley, in Bodhinath, the Tibetan refugee village. These are some of my favorite pilgrimage places. Well, Benares along the Ganges, where everybody bathes every morning and is doing yoga, and there's 24 hours of chanting, and it's a little chaotic, but it's really like a spiritual festival constantly, day and night, like a Woodstock festival, spiritual practice day and night. So it seems like Benares is on the grid, and a lot of people have cell phones and iPads, and you know some even have cars and refrigerators. But the Ganges and the place where they burn the bodies and the sadhus, the, the wandering ascetics and yogis, holy men, holy women, it hasn't changed. And Bodh Gaya is spread out and built up and there are fences and security gates. But when you're in the sanctum, it hasn't changed. And, and the timeless goes on, even though time changes and evolves. So I hope that the roots continue to flourish and we don't just pull the thing up and leave the roots behind and just have a short-lived uh, plant or flower. Yeah, well, I think, uh, well, it's certainly something that you're, that's coming forward in your teachings, you know, it's just how to, how, to, how to adapt it to a contemporary, to this, how to adapt these teachings to a contemporary time, you know. So, I, yes. I mean, I know you and, you know, many other people I respect, that's what, that's what the work is right now. Right. But I do feel I'm a little... I am a little, uh, little concerned about, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, right. uh, that somehow in the, in, you know, wanting to be more efficient by using, you mindfulness, know, mindfulness yeah. or something like this, or, you know, uh, well, you know, I, it just feels like there's really no, uh, there's no substitute for deep practice. <laughs> I mm -hmm. mean, if you really, if, if you're one of those people that wants to be more self-conscious about your own mm -hmm. spiritual life. Right. You know, I mean, again, we said maybe you don't need to be. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people that seem to yeah. be doing it without that. But if that's the path you're you're upon, you know, the path of yoga or yeah. something else like that, it's really a lot more deep than, you know, people. I, I think and, feel imagine. comfortable in teaching yeah. it. I mean, I go to a yoga class. We stay, you know, here at the health club. Right. And people right. we we start and end with Om. But there's a self-conscious determination to sort of keep it as secular as possible. Yes. And with good reason. I think that's fine. Right. I'm not interested. No, it is fine. But that's not really the classic. That's not really the classical yoga. I mean, the right. idea of Hatha Yoga was that it was these series of practices that would open you up so that then you could go more deeply into the rest of your spiritual practice. It was assuming that Hatha Yoga was only part of your spiritual practice. It wasn't a complete right. practice in itself because I don't really think anybody can say that it is. Well, it's part of the eight-limbed yoga, and there's also the wisdom yoga, meditation yoga, energy yoga, right? Devotional yeah. yoga, good service or karma yoga. So it's part of it. So uh, just like mindfulness, just for efficiency, something is lost in the spiritual benefits. Uh, yoga, just to look good or for health, is, is losing. I mean, it, it's good in itself. It is what it is. But losing, well, lacking sometimes the spirit, possible spiritual benefits, since the word yoga means union, and obviously it's about unifying with God or living, coming closer to oneness and less feelings of separation and loneliness and egotism. Absolutely. Very well said. Yeah, uh, so anyway, uh, like for example, I mean, all of those practices, yoga, you know, mindfulness, you know, bhakti yoga, 
chanting, all bring you intensively into the present moment, okay? I mean, that's what's the beautiful thing. Of, that's, that's what they're designed to do, to bring you into the moment. But what do you do when you're in that moment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, when you're brought fully into the moment, what's the next step, you know? And uh, I think that we're, that's what's not necessarily being conveyed, you know, because it, it's, I think probably it sounds too religious to people or something. I mean, no, it's mistaken as religion, and it's not really, what, it's not really the situation. But. Well, it's universal truth, which is hard to define, but, you know, it's that kind of ideal. It's kind of a placeholder, words like that. But um, why don't you ask that question again? When you when you're in the moment, then what? What's what next? Yes, when you're in the moment, what's the what's you know what? I mean, you're standing at the you're you're in the you've been fully brought into the moment through mindfulness or from yoga or whatever. You're fully mm -hmm. present. You're yes. at the doorway. You've been right. brought to the door. What what do you do to go through the door? Be present to the next moment and the next moment even without knowing, because it's in a different dimension. But, we, but you, when you say be present, so you use, it sounds so easy when you say that, sir. You say but I'm just, but no, that's, what, that's what a capital, so that's what yeah, all capital no, letters, No, it's a lot. Right? I'm just saying I don't think it's impossible. That since you were saying when you get to that moment, so what's next? So be present again. Or if you lose it, come back to that, the same process that brought you present, your practice. I've been working more in the in the sort of Hindu metaphors of uh, mm -hmm. because of this film I'm working on mm -hmm. and because it's sort of like this sort of the, I mean, you know, it's an interesting thing. I guess we should just say that we've had this interesting blend of both Hindu and Buddhist teachings. And they're part of that. We've mm -hmm. been trying to integrate. At least yes. I have. And I know you have uh, been trying to integrate both of these things, not feeling that they're oppositional at all, but very complementary uh, ways of yes. being, you know. Uh, but they do have different vocabularies at times, you know, so I, I'm using a different vocabulary now than than my Buddhist vocabulary, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so. Um, so give us a metaphor. How do you see it? Well, well, this is this is maybe a more universal in a more universal language. It's really I feel like we have these two aspects of ourselves, the mortal and the eternal, right? The mm -hmm. eternal aspect of ourselves that we were born with these, you know, with, you know, sort of, you know, whatever the Buddhist, I mean, you know, whatever the Buddhist term would be a true, true nature or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, but that through the, by when we come into the present moment, we come into, there's no eternal without the present moment, mm -hmm. you know, that is literally what the eternal is. It's a, it's a, it's an unending present moment, right? And so right. we come into that. And so we come into that present moment. What do we do then? You know, it's really in the, Pilgrim in the pilgrimage tradition, that's the time when you just completely open yourself and go into, into go into the eternal. You 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 it's a passage, you know, from mm -hmm. the small, would say the small self to something much mm -hmm. bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, okay. I mean these are. I that, mean these. That's beautiful vision. That that sounds very true. Valid. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I really feel like that's the pilgrimage that everybody is on in life. I mean, if we want, if we need to talk about it in some terms, it's that going from the eternal, you know, from from the mortal to the eternal. I mean, we keep flipping back and forth in these things, you know, and uh, I think we were much more overdeveloped on the mortal side, which yes. is the, hu the human side, right. you know, the individual side. Right. A and uh, and the eternal is something that's much more. Um, in the b background, 
in the back it's truly in the background <laughs> but it is but it is uh, on the back burner it, it is we're burning on it, the it front is the, it is it is also a place that's animating us right. you know we're we're yeah. those are the bigger wheels that are turning it's the hand inside the muppets that we are <laughs> the one hand inside the different finger muppets puppets that we are because we're all god's pseudopods just appendages but connected well, it's a beautiful vision, and that's a way, you know, as we say in Tibetan Buddhism, to see the Buddha or see the light in everyone and everything. So you have natural empathy and natural compassion and treat them as you would be treated. See the yeah. Buddha in everyone and everything, not just human beings. Of course, that's a great way of relating to nature and animals and the interconnectedness of all things. As well, and well, I think, I think, so important I think today. that was the thing that I got most out of Buddhism, and I think I think Hinduism got the most out of Buddhism. You know, it's interesting because there really isn't a lot of Buddhism in India anymore. But I'm finding the ways in which Buddhist values, because it was the even the state religion of India for centuries, yes. so it's it's come into the the whole culture. You know, right. uh, whether you want to believe that Buddha was the tenth incarnation of Vishnu or not, I mean, it doesn't you know that's yeah. like for theologians to figure out, but. Uh, but but literally that the idea of beingness and stuff like that, I feel like it's it came out of Hinduism to to the Buddha and has come back into Hinduism from Buddhism. And uh, I feel like that's that was the thing that was one of the most interesting discoveries for me. There was the idea of being, you know, that, you know, and that. And in the film, what I'm really trying to talk about is the idea that we have these two aspects of ourselves, the mortal and the eternal. And I would call that the human and the being, you know, mm -hmm. that all human being. we have both of these things. The human is the individualistic, you know, is the, you know, is the, the, the you know, the, 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 yeah. the individual and, uh, and the being is the shared, the shared, right. the transpersonal, huh? the transpersonal, the transpersonal, like the personal yeah. mortal one that dies and the transpersonal. Yeah, the underlying continuity. I'm trying not to use deistic. Uh, deistic yeah, I know. Uh, I, I, hear you. Here, I know. But... You're avoiding the words like soul, uh, <laughs> self, but it's okay. We're just talking here in English. We're not theologians. Yeah, yeah. Well, but but it also it also gets in the way of people thinking yes, about. It. Right. I don't think anybody can doubt, doubt the fact that we are called human beings. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. I mean, that is our identity as a species, yes, right? Homo sapiens. So, in that sense, as beings, we connect just as you were saying to other life forms, to animals, and things like that, because we are beings, and so we recognize them as other beings. I remember you and Chandi, you yeah, know, my your dog, old dog. You know, I mean, was that was the perfect? You were two old souls together. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, so, but anyway, I, I just think, I, I would like to think, I'm trying to, I keep trying to think of ways of being able to universalize this, this kind of stuff and simplify it. And mm -hmm. I feel, what could be simpler than a human being, okay? But we're way over involved on the human side and the individual side. You know, I'm the kind of person that likes purple. I'm the kind, you yeah. know, whatever it is. And especially with, you know, with, you know, with, with this, with this world, with this world. You know, I it's, know. Gotten, it's gotten a lot more. Look at screens all day. Yeah. Especially well, also, also just, you know, this, you know, you have a profile, you're yeah. putting out right. who you are, you're very consciously creating a, an yeah. identity for yourself online. Right. So that's all in the human side, which that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that, but it has to be balanced by the beingness, right. the contemplative aspect of ourselves, the eternal yeah. part of ourselves. Right. And that's what 
that's what being on pilgrimage does, and that's what being on a path does. And, you know. Well, I think of it as uh, where our society seems to be a little lacking in interiority. You know, obviously, when we, we're so outwardly oriented. It's like what you're talking about pilgrimage. When you go to these sacred sites or spaces, and it doesn't have to be in the East. It could be anywhere. Like I was in Chartres in France, and I couldn't believe inside how marvelous oh, and mystical it is. But still, in the sacred space, the inside is vaster than the outside that's around it. It's, it's a different quality. That's more the eternal or infinite dimension, not just the personal or the time-bound or the quantitative. It's a whole different experience. It kind of your mind stops maybe. Well, I mean, it's just something that's even in Ecclesiastes, it says, you know, that that he he has put he has put the eternal on on every on every heart. You know, I mean, that that is I mean, everybody has that within Mm -hmm. that eternal that eternal being is in every human being, you know, and so. It. uh, It's it's something that we can appreciate in each other. It's something that we sell. We can. We can. I mean, it, it, and nobody has to achieve anything. It's mm-hmm. already. In, it's indwelling. Right. It's intrinsic. Yes. You don't have to. I mean, you know, we can cultivate it so that we can be make it more more real in our lives. But everybody's carrying it around inside them already. You know. Well, that's a beautiful vision. That's a great place to complete. I think our pilgrimage today, the pilgrimage we've been on for forty five years together, and probably longer in this life or other lives or in other forms, who knows? Maybe Chandi, my beloved dog, was part of it, or, you know, yours, or who knows? Yeah, well, Surya, I just have to say, it's just it's just been so wonderful to watch you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, do we, are we really out of time right now? Or No, we can say a few more things, no problem. Okay, but I remember in, in, in Bodh Gaya, you know, I mean, we're not Bodh Gaya, in, in Kashmir, when uh, we were, I was going through this Goenka retreat, and I was telling you about it, and you hadn't yes. done any, you know, any major retreat. You had done some meditation, I think, with Philip yeah. Kaplow, but, right. you know, uh, but, and I was telling you about this, like, you know, like 12 yeah. hours a day, silence, monastery, and stuff like that. Ten and, days. You know, yeah. And I was saying, you know, geez, you know, can we, uh, you know, why don't you come? I said, I'll give you, know, and you said, you said, oh, no, I don't think I could do that. It sounds way too much for me, you know. I, did, so, I you remember. Know. And uh, I said, well, let me give you the address just in case, you know. Mm-hmm. So I gave you the address in Rajasthan, a long way from yeah, Kashmir, right? right? And then I got there, and you were already there. <laughs> I had to yes. retreat. Ken and, and I uh, decided that we were crazy to stay up in the mountains trying to meditate and, you know, doing other things. And instead, so we flew part of the way to not be late. Oh, yeah, I, that's I never how heard we got that there. Part. You probably, went by, you so you probably went there by bus and train. It took two exactly, or three days. Yeah. But anyway, then so anyway, then and then uh, then you started, you know, really getting deeply involved in mm-hmm. practice and in teachings and stuff like this. But then I remember after your first three-year, three-month retreat <laughs> that you did, you know, that's meditating for three years, yeah. three months, people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that you came to Cambridge where I was living, and we were uh, we were watching the NBA finals, <laughs> which was one of your loves, and you hadn't uh-huh. seen any basketball, I uh, guess. In I think I came years. with Chaitanya from Vermont. Yeah. To your house in Arlington on Spy Pod. Oh, okay. And I remember, I remember asking you because during halftime, you know, we were sort of chatting. I said, "So, what do you think you're going to do now, Surya? That you've done your three yeah. three months retreat?" And you said, 
I'm actually thinking about another one. <laughs> and I was like floored, you know, and you didn't, you actually did another yeah, one, yeah. you know? It was great. Just, well, what else was there to do? That's yeah, what I was interested Anyway, I mean, I just found it so, I mean, from a guy who, well, I don't know about that to, 10 you know, days, yeah, for three years. To, to the level of practice months. that you've yeah. done. It's, it's remarkable, honestly. I'm well, just, it's a path, you know, that's I'm what we talk about. Staying on the path and keep going. Continuity is the secret of success, as our teacher Goenka used to say. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Not getting elated or depressed about what's happening today, but keep going together, practicing mm. and loving and opening and exploring the mystery. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Okay, well, let's end it there. Okay. Thank you very much, John Krishna Bush. We look forward to seeing your films and re-seeing your Yatra trilogy and online. At the yeah, actually, pictures. Let, me just, let me just give a little, yes. if anybody's interested in seeing my yeah. films, you can go to directpictures.com forward slash films. Very good. Directpictures.com slash films. And yeah, they're all there, you know. Yeah, isn't that great? <clears throat> what a resource. You can go on pilgrimage with us. Please join. Please. Wonderful. Okay. And so this is our Awakening Now podcast on the Be Here Now network. And Lama Das signing off. I also have social media and so on if you're interested. Love to one and all. Thank you. Thank you, Surya. Thank you. What a pleasure.